0: Hey, this is Leslie, host of the Rogue Ones podcast. Thank you for listening to this show. You know, I did this limited series in 2018 and 2019. The world was a wildly different place, but knowing that people are still listening to it now and benefiting from these stories brings immense satisfaction, so thank you. If you want to keep up with my own rogue adventures, you can follow me on Substack. Yes, I have one too. An easy link to find that is leslieethompson.com slash Substack. I write on there frequently, but then I'll also post audio vignettes that don't fit into a typical podcast framework. I've been busy, and I bet you have been too, Rogue One. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Now, here's the episode, and I hope you enjoy. You are listening to the Rogue Ones podcast, conversations with extraordinary people doing fascinating things that will encourage us to live with a bend toward the remarkable. Today's conversation is with the co-host of the wildly popular Armchair Expert podcast and creative partner to Kristen Bell, the indomitable Monica Padman. Welcome to the Rogue Ones Podcast. I am the host and creator of this show. My name is Leslie Eiler-Thompson, and you can find out more about this podcast, look at all of its varied guests, and even get rogue gear like mugs, hats, shirts, at rogueonespodcast.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at Leslie Eiler-Thompson. One of the most wonderful things about having this podcast is that in the process of discovering the Rogue One and the experiences that have made their lives extraordinary is that you get to come along with me. And today, we get to go someplace pretty cool. We get to talk with someone paving a Rogue path with gratitude and awareness that her success is not entirely of her own doing. This is a conversation about recognizing those who have given us big breaks and who have stepped down to offer us a hand as we're crawling our way up the stairs. Chances are you've seen this guest. Actor and producer Monica Padman has not only been on multiple national commercials. Here's just a sampling. She's one of the mermaids in the Herbal Essences commercial and is part of the team that comes up with the new set of voices after Alexa loses her voice in Amazon's 2018 Super Bowl commercial. And fun side note, my Amazon Alexa definitely just went off. Monica is also a producer and co-host for a little old podcast called Armchair Expert by Dax Shepard and creative partner to Kristen Bell. We talk dreams, broken dreams, the importance of seeking truth, and the value of being exactly who you are. I am entirely pleased to introduce to you Monica Patman. Please enjoy. Monica Padman, thank you for joining us on the Rogue Ones podcast. Absolutely, so good Thanks to for have having you. Me. You are an actor, a producer, and the co-host of Dax Shepard's wildly popular podcast, Armchair Expert. Kristen Bell's creative partner, and a fellow Southerner.
1: That's right, I am. Born in Atlanta. Yeah, suburbs of Atlanta. Which and- suburb? Duluth. Well, I was oh. born in Norcross, and then I grew up in Duluth. Would you believe you know it? I've been to Duluth.
0: No way.
1: <laughs> yes, way. Uh, For what?
0: Well, my husband's uncle, he owns a media company that only covers pulp, the pulp and paper industry. Oh wow! Talk about a niche, right? That is so specific. <laughs> yes, and he they live in Duluth, and so he brought me down. Me and my husband, we came down, and we went to a Braves game. Hmm.
1: They're very fun. Oh, so fun. Isn't it fun? I know. I'm so not into sports, but I enjoy those games so much.
0: Okay, so Duluth, suburb of Atlanta. And then you, did you go to the public school system in your
1: area or did you? I did. I went to the, uh, I graduated from Duluth High School in 2005. Um, and I then I went to the University of Georgia after that.
0: Is that the one in Athens?
1: It is. Would you it believe is. I've also been there? <laughs> I, be, I believe that more than Duluth. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it was the best. I mean, it, it was the most quintessential college experience I could really? have ever imagined. What do you mean by that? Like what is quintessential college experience? Like every book you read about college life, every movie you see, Uh it is that to a T. It's just depicted so perfectly and it's beautiful. Like the campus Uh is beautiful. And I kind of came from with a group of friends from high school. We all went to UGA because at that time, and it, it still exists, but Georgia has a HOPE scholarship program. So if you graduate from high school there with I think it's changed now, but I think back then it was a three five or above. Mm-hmm. You qualified for the Hope Scholarship, which was free tuition to a Georgia Completely state school. Completely free. Yes, which is incredible. And I had these like big big dreams of grad of of going to UCLA. That was my oh. like big dream. So it was like once this Hope Scholarship started happening, I was like, ah, well. I, cause my parents were like, no, like you are going to get a free education here. Yeah. I and don't blame them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, if you want to go somewhere else, you can, but you're going to have to get loans and you're going to have to do the thing. And I was like, all right, well maybe I'll compromise. I'll go to Georgia for two years and then I'll transfer for the, the last two years to UCLA. That that was what was going on in my had and you wanted to do UCLA
0: because because UGA you were in theater right? I was is that in what theater. you wanted to do always? Yep.
1: Yep. I, I I knew I wanted to be an actress when I was. I mean, I think when I was pretty young, but really in ninth grade I started theater at my high school and I it was like it was just the end. I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to mm. do for the rest of my life. I wow. I know it. Um. So I really wanted to study. theater theater and i knew it's like i guess i should go to la or new york to mm-hmm. do that and i also knew that i would never be able to be someone who went to like a conservatory program and like mm. really really study it like my parents would not have been down for that <laughs> and to be honest i would not have either like i wanted yeah. to go to a like accredited university right
0: and i would so. imagine the the College, the quintessential college experience you've talked about at UGA does not exist at a conservatory. No, 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 no. You no. really enjoyed that, and you kind of wanted yeah, that.
1: but I didn't know I was looking for that. I guess is mm. what I'm saying. I didn't know. Like yeah. I was like, I'm gonna go study theater, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna graduate with all these skills, and I'm gonna be a working actor, and I, I had all these thoughts about what college was gonna give me for my acting and for my career, but I had no idea that like I was just gonna get this perfect, perfect experience that you just can't Mm. get in any other capacity. So I I am so grateful that I sort of stumbled into that and then stayed. And it was really, really, it was formative.
0: And so you said you also double majored in PR. Where was that decision? So coming from someone who is, has a degree in music, my question to you is, was PR like a backup, like, okay, mom and dad, I'll do this also,
1: but it's even a double major. So, like, that's a lot of work. I know. Um, yes, absolutely, 100%. It was a pl- It was me placating my parents. They didn't ask me to. But I was like, I knew when I told them that I was going to study theater, like any parent, I think they um, are were worried about their kid and wanted me to have the most opportunity the most stable options available to me Mm -hmm. and I completely understand that like if I don't have children but I think about if I had a kid would I want them to do this sometimes I talk about it with Dax and Kristen obviously because their kids are I'm very 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 close with their kids yeah and they're growing up Obviously, with everyone around them is doing something creative. Not even like their mom and their dad, but also me and Dax's sister. Like all, everyone, oh, yeah. everyone. <laughs> is doing That's something. what they're watching as they're yeah. going through their formative years. Yeah, exactly. That those are the models that they have. And I always think like, what I want them to do and to do this, or what I want my yeah. kids and and ulti- ultimately, I think you just have to be like, well, they're going to do what they want, regardless. So you almost shouldn't even spend too much time thinking about it. Right. Right. But I fully understand where my parents were coming from, but they were not they were not thrilled by the idea of me studying theater.
0: And did you were you even able to verbalize at that time what you were going to do with it other than be a working actor? Like did you want to go stage or film or
1: TV? Like did you know what you wanted to do with I did that? know to some extent or I thought I knew. I I definitely wanted to do TV and film, um, mainly TV, and that's pretty much because in eighth grade I fell in love with two things like dra- uh, Head Over Heels, full obsession, Friends, and Goodwill Hunting. Ugh. And Ugh. I mean, golden, I, I golden I, years it, of yes of pop culture media. Absolutely, I was so obsessed with those things. I mean, the, my friend's obsession like borders on something pathological. I mean, it was like <laughs> really, really crazy. I had like a whole, oh, this is so embarrassing to say. This was before the DVDs. <laughs> okay. So I had to VHS tape. I VHS taped every single episode oh of Friends. Gosh. And I had like a color-coded system <gasps> for how I labeled the episodes on the tapes. And it was, I mean, it was a real something Oh, to, my. like, witness. Yeah. And I think I had 32 tapes at the so end of just it all. I was just going to ask
0: is how long, how many tapes are we talking at the end of I, all of it? Wow, it 32. 32. And
1: yeah, then, were they but, cataloged? Like, did you catalog them? E- yes, exactly. So I had, like, I had this whole system, and it was color-coded by season, and, like, the way I wrote... The names of the episode like matched the color that I had designated for that season. I mean, it oh, was like yeah. it, it it was so oh, type yeah. A and strange, um, <laughs> and fully encapsulates my personality. Like if I start liking something, it is the end. I mean, it is all mm. or nothing always. Mm. So anyway, I was obsessed with Friends and Goodwill Hunting, Goodwill Hunting in a similar sense, and I was like, I have. To do that. I have to be a part of something that is making me feel like this. I want to make other people feel like this. They look like they're having the most fun anyone could ever possibly have. They're also being emotional. Like, all of the things. I was like, I just... Have to, yeah. and then I started theater, and then it was all confirmed. Um, and it's kind of funny because you know I always used to say like, all I want to do is like be on a Friends and be on hmm. an ensemble TV show. And the truth is like that's still my goal. Like that's yeah. still true. A ensemble like Friends, where there's not like a legit uh, lead and supporting. It's like everyone's kind of working together, and I that's still right. my goal.
0: It seems like a very collaborative um, atmosphere. And it seems like you really have to be, there
1: is no one shining person necessarily, so all of you have to be at the top of your game and support each other. Support each other is the big thing. It's so fun to do that. I've gotten to do that a lot later once I got to L.A. because I got very into improv, and that's the exact same thing. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about that. So you moved to L.A., which it sounds like what you wanted
1: to do for all time, always. Did you move yeah. right after college? I lived at home for a year after college. I worked at my high school cheerleading coach's gym. <laughs> and awesome. I had an agent there, and I worked a little bit in Atlanta uh, as an actor and the, for a year, and then I moved to L.A. after that. Okay. And so you moved to L.A. Did you get
0: involved with Upright Citizens right away, or was there a period of time where
1: you... It was it was pretty quick. I knew about it going in, mm-hmm. like m- before I moved there. I knew about the Upright Citizens Brigade, and I am also like a full um. I it's like full immersion. As soon as I start getting turned on to someone, I like go down the rabbit hole and watch yeah. all the videos. And so I think I sort of feel like there's never enough information about a topic hmm. or a person. Mm-hmm. So I'm always. It's funny searching. you say that
0: because. Um, so Upright Citizens Brigade, for people who might be listening that don't know, um, improv started in Chicago with uh, Amy Poehler. And I. improv terrifies me because I've only been to those games where it's like tap person on the shoulder when yes. you want to like whatever. And then I saw Cat. Uh, mm. There's some, I haven't seen it live, but there is some video on YouTube of like all those people doing it. And I did the same thing you did, Rabbit Hole. And there aren't many videos of it
1: of that yeah. practice, and I am dying to see it, but that long-form. Oh my form. gosh, long-form improv. Yep, that's what I was just about to say. The the games and what a, a lot of um, regional theater improv groups focus on is short-form improv, which is games, like that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're called short-form games. And the Upright Citizens Brigade and many other improv um, places here And in New York, focus on long form, which is like you basically you're given a word and then you improvise for Mm. however long off of that one word. And it goes places and it's the most um, I mean, it is the most electric feeling when it when it works. It is the most electric feeling. In the world. Like, there's no comparing.
0: So, then that's also to say when it doesn't work.
1: Oh boy, it's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it couldn't be worse. I had an improv teacher say, watching improv is like watching someone on a ladder and the ladder is tipping over and you can't help it. <sighs> like, you're all, you're, and it's so true because at any moment they could just fall and crash there and break their head open. And be and it Ugh. it's it can be excruciating, but it can also be the most joyous thing. I I would really encourage if anyone's ever in LA or New York, Chicago, a lot of places, to go see a long form improv show. Your mind will be blown. It's incredible. It, it's incredible. I, th- I think the practicality
0: of long form versus short form is, as you watch these shows that do allow um, for some time. Sometimes of improv, when they're filming, and then it makes it to the final cut or whatever. How all mm-hmm. how all of that works, but that the skills you learn in a long form process of understanding story, um, where are we going? What's the end goal? Yes, what has the- just happened, and what's going on around me? Like all of mm-hmm. those things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 much more full immersion and awareness whereas short form is like you're really focused on one thing and you hit it and you're done and and which is which is also by the way I don't don't mean to belittle it it's incredibly hard to be good at that as well it's it's another full skill and can all it can lead to like the the biggest laps. but
0: oh um, and I think that's the most interesting thing to me is there's a the guy who studied improv, I worked with him for a second, and we started talking about this. And he, he brought up the concept of dirty jokes, for example. Within mm-hmm. long form, improv, they're known as cheap, and you don't really want to go for the easy, dirty joke.
1: Absolutely.
0: And, you know, it's not all about the big, massive laugh.
1: It's the it's the long payoff. It is. Payoff and callback. And it it's so much more satisfying when you hit a joke or call something back and people recognize it. I mean, it's, it's really, um, it's, a, it's That's incredible. Yeah.
0: yeah. So you're in Upright Citizens Brigade in New York and, or sorry, in LA, in LA. Yeah. And then what, what was that like to, to uproot from a very Southern mm. area? And I mean, Atlanta's pretty, um, diverse and about diverse as you can get in the South, but then, yeah. Then you moved to Los Angeles, and how long... I mean, I know it's a constant struggle when you're in a creative industry like that, but how long was it before you got your first gig, and what was that whole culture shock like?
1: Well, it was it was pretty seamless. So Duluth is, I always say, a suburb that could have been in anywhere USA. Like, okay. it was not super... You know, it wasn't in, like, rural Georgia or anything like that. Yeah. It was a very, like very stereotypical suburban life. However, you know, it's the South. It's it's mm-hmm. pretty conservative and religious. Like, you know, all of these things that I am not. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, I also, it's not like I'm not now that I'm in LA. I was never. Like my family has always been a little more liberal and not mm-hmm. religious and none of those things. So I always felt like an out, a little bit like an outsider Mm -hmm. there. But when I came here, I was like, oh, these, (laughs) this is the place. This is the place that I'm supposed to probably live. Most people are more in line with my values here. Like, you know, I I fit in here. I fit in here way more than I fit in there ideologically. Well, and it's also so funny because I, you know, I have a lot – of, I, I've had a lot of issues in life about being different and about growing up Indian in a Southern yeah. state. And Boy, that's a whole lot of, that's a whole lot of uh, cultures right there. Indian yes. and in a Southern
0: state. Oh A God, lot yeah. of culture, a lot of long held, you know, decade after decade of culture built up. That's absolutely kind of colliding, you know?
1: It is, and it's so interesting because I, you know, my mom was born in India, but then she grew up in Savannah, Georgia, She, when she was, like, six, so she grew okay. up there, and then my dad came in um, his 20s. But so I was very, very, very Americanized. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There was not a lot of, like, Indian culture stuff happening in my house. Probably I think my parents feel, like, a little bit – now I think they feel a little bit sad about that. Like they no, didn't really. give us they didn't give us enough exposure to any of those things. Huh. But at that time I was like thank god I do not <laughs> want to be associated that's the last thing I want to be associated with. That's I don't so want to f- be different. It's your, every kid's nightmare every kid. Not forget yeah. what your ethnicity is. Any any person in high school just wants to fit in. That is the yes. goal. That yes. is the sole goal: is to fit in, is to be popular. But being popular is a, is an effect of fitting in. You know the idea. It's just so of, backwards it our, is. Our poor little brains in high school. I know it's so sad, <laughs> and also it's so funny because then you start you realize as soon as you, as soon as your brain fully forms and you become an adult, you realize like, oh wait no, those are the things that make me interesting. But right. at that time, like all I was doing, I spent so much of that time just like trying to erase anything that even remotely made me different. And you know, back when there, when people would ask me, and it would happen often obviously, like, where are you from? They were asking, what's your ethnicity? <laughs> right. You know, but right. they were saying, Where are you from? What's your ethnicity? And when I moved here, people would ask, Where are you from? And they literally meant <sighs> like the answer was Georgia. That's what right. they were looking that's for. That's they were, what what they were for. asking. Yeah. Right. Right, and I was so pleased by that. Like, oh, they're not asking me what my ethnicity is. They're literally asking me where I'm from, and I just, right. I just appreciated that so much coming here. So when I first got out here, I didn't know what to do. I was like, how do I do this? Did how do you know I get anybody? an agent? Yes, so I moved. In with my best friend Anthony, we moved out together. He just moved out okay. a month before me. Um, but he uh, we moved out together. He wanted to be a writer, and I wanted to be an actor. And we sort of joined forces. We moved, we just got a random apartment that I, we found like on West Side Rentals or something from <laughs> Atlanta. Like, we hadn't seen it, we didn't know. We were taking a big leap. That's the best way to do it. It's the only way. I mean, truthfully, it's yeah. the only way. It's, it's, you have to, it, it requires so much faith in yourself and faith in the world that, like, mm. everything's just going to work out for you. Right. And that was kind of always our philosophy. He got a job uh, working as a PA, a production assistant on Modern Family. Okay. And... I was like, I don't have a job, I don't have anything. <laughs> what am I gonna do? So I started, I like applied to all these babysitting jobs and I got a bunch of babysitting jobs and then I was every day, I was just sending out my resume and my headshot like via email. Mm. I would just go on IMDB Pro and look up anyone who I liked and then find out their agent and then email. And it was just like, it was, mm. a, it was an incessant thing commercially and uh, theatrically. And, you know, of course, nobody is responding. Maybe one person is responding saying, like, no, basically. (laughs) And I was like, okay, great, great. And then I – and one day one person emailed me back. And it was the assistant to the person I had emailed. okay. And she emailed me back and said, hey, you know, I'm interested. Send me some of your materials. And I'm like, materials? Okay. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do I do? I don't have any. I sent you my did. materials. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, um, but I had done a little work in Atlanta. I had done an episode of Drop Dead Diva. I had done like a couple commercials. I had done a little bit there and I had done a lot of like short film work in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So I basically sent her like a... A reel that I had compiled, and she responded and said, "This is great. You're a little green, um, ah. so you know, keep going." Basically, she said, "Keep going and keep me updated."
0: What a great email response!
1: Yes, yes, For it real. was. It was the best because she wasn't telling me no, right? But she was telling me she wasn't telling me no she wasn't telling me yes but she was telling me maybe like that's like kind right. of how i took it it's like oh well, it sounds well, like I she was telling you to stay in the
0: game stay like stay in she, the
1: game yeah she wasn't telling you to stop she was saying, she "Well, yeah, keep going, you know." Yes, she was. She was encouraging me to keep going, and the idea that I was like, "Oh, well, there's somebody that I could, if I have updates, I, I have a person I can send them to." Yeah, it was like enough. It was enough to just get me. It got me into in improv class which I was very I knew about it going in I knew that I had to do it like I knew because I always wanted to do comedy so and that was always what I um definitely excelled at in high school I knew that was my thing but I knew to do it I had to like join groundlings or upright citizen brigade or something so I was just stalling but as soon as Brooke Brooke Popjoy who sent that email Mm -hmm. she um When she said that, I was like, okay, signing up for class tomorrow, doing Mm -hmm. this, doing this, doing this. Mm -hmm. And I did. I just kept her updated for probably a year, maybe a year and a half, maybe two. I don't even, to be honest, I don't remember the timeline. Probably about a year. Mm -hmm. And the next year, she sent me an audition for a pilot. Wow. So that's a year of like... Of training. Yeah. Yeah. Right, training, doing um, web series with friends, doing all, making a ton of my own stuff, writing my own stuff, really just delving into the training, and I'm so glad. I am so yeah. glad I had that time to really kind of focus on getting good, you know, right. as opposed to just like getting somewhere. She um, sent me on on this pilot. It was for this show called Girlfriend in a Coma. It was like, five mm-hmm. lines as, like, a nurse or something, mm-hmm. uh, and I went, and I booked it. Hooray. Yes, which is rare. Yeah. You don't normally book the fr- as I now know, <laughs> you, you don't normally, the chances are not very high. So, I booked that, which was great because, um, for me, I was like, oh, my God this is so great because now she is going to have some confidence in me. Like that's really all I cared about. And I went, we did the table read for this pilot. I mean, this is all so new to me. I'm, you know, I'm so, so excited. And then we end up after the table read, the lead of that show got fired, which happens all the time. I also now know (laughs) she is a name actress and I was at the table read. I thought everything was great. She got fired the next day and based on the table read or was were there other things like were there I, other issues i assume it was based on the table read that it happens wow. a lot where just cuz because in that table read there are so many people there the network is there all the production oh. people are like everyone is there and everyone is gotcha. deciding even though they've already decided it's a strange it's a okay. very like it's just so anxiety provoking sitting oh. there Mm -hmm. and knowing you're sort of like on me might get like cut at any moment but anyway they could never find a replacement and we never shot it oh my word so I booked this thing but I, (laughs) I I didn't shoot it it was like a very strange it was all very strange but ultimately it was good for my relationship with Brooke and then we just worked together uh, kind of sporadically. Like, she didn't, like, sign me or anything, but she would just send me things. She would send me things when she thought, that she thought would work for me. She sent me auditions. and I'm so incredibly thankful mm. for her and the fact that she, as an, oh, which I should say, now she's a full-blown, humongous really manager. Ah, yes. Good so for her. So when I, absolutely, and it was just, you know, she was an assistant, and she was like, hmm, I'm going to – which is why she's so amazing and why she's so successful is because she's, like, taking chances on people and responding to people. Like, she's doing her due diligence. I just am grateful for her, and you need those people. Like, you need people right. to take
0: chances on you. I think I think most everybody um, could probably tell stories of who was that first person that yeah. took a chance on you, and even if it was a small thing, if it was something that set off a chain reaction – to a large thing. It's so important and to respect those people and to learn from them. Yeah. And to pay it forward. I think that's also absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So you did you had that unfortunate experience, which is awesome because you booked something but then whoops. (laughs) But then it was nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your next thing and how long until that happened?
1: I think the next thing I booked, I also had a commercial agent at that time but I wasn't really going out much at all commercially and I wasn't booking anything but it was like really rare I think I was dropped by that first commercial agent which was at that point like felt I was like oh well I should just quit I mean I, I mean it felt so devastating right right I can get that yeah yeah, I mean, it's someone basically telling you, like, you're not good enough. Exactly. Well, this, is, this is what you hear anyway. I don't know well, if it's the truth. Well, and going back
0: to the idea of how Brooke basically said with that first email, okay, you're green, but it was kind of like a green light to keep going. And I think for people who are creative, we're constantly waiting for someone to tell us, you can stop now, like, you know what, yes. good run, or actually, no, keep going. And I think we actually start to find that, those things don't exist but we read situations as being those voices
1: absolutely it's it's everyone's validating whatever you already think about yourself so if you're insecure about and of course you are everyone is when they start and and always actually it's which is so funny what i'm really learning now is like oh that never goes away ever And the bar just keeps moving higher and higher and higher. once you get one wrong, it's the next, it's the next, it's the next. But the insecurity Mm. and the feelings of inadequacy and all of these things, they're real forever until you fix them internally. Mm -hmm. I think it's great for everyone to recognize that. Like, oh, it doesn't matter what I get. Like, it's not going to fix this thing, Mm -hmm. which is insecurity or low self-esteem or whatever you're feeling um, th- th- those things are not going to fix it. Right. But like your internal work will. And right. regardless of whether you have any of this success. So
0: it's a mind game. And especially when you get dropped from, you know, you're new, yeah. you're new to the whole geographical area and you get dropped from an agent, a commercial, you know, situation. That's hard. That's hard yeah, on a young soul.
1: It is. And at that time... I felt like, oh my God, but I need her. I need mm-hmm. her. Without her, I can't even get into these rooms. I can't mm-hmm. even try to get better. I need her. What do I do? Right. And that's really when I started like doing a, making a lot of my own stuff. Cause I was like, what do I do? Like, I need all these people and they won't help me. I guess mm-hmm. I'll just have to do a bunch of stuff on my own with my friend. It was just so nice to feel like, I don't need anyone to be fulfilled, to to feel creative. Like no one can stop me from feeling creative. And so, but then once you start doing your own things, opportunities come. Like they do start showing themselves to you. So I got a new commercial agent through Brooke. She helped set that up. And I guess after uh, Girlfriend in a Coma, I did an episode of House of, Lies. Okay, I think that must have been the next thing I did, and I played Kristen Bell's assistant on that. Was that like when you were in the
0: scenes? Did it feel so natural that it (laughs) just like? I mean, it's just so funny that that ended up being a thing that you did in real life.
1: It was such a life art moment. I mean, it was. It's. I laugh at it so much, and I always. Well, I guess I'll go back. I knew Kristen. Uh, through mutual friends, but just at, like, parties, it was, like, hi. You know, it was just, mm-hmm. like, I knew of her because we had some mutual friends, but we we mm-hmm. definitely weren't, like, ever having, like, in conversation or anything. She, like, maybe knew my name. She'll probably tell you that she did know it, but I don't know that she <laughs> really did. Um, so I arrive on set, and she does recognize me, and she's like, oh, hi. and And so we start talking. She had just had her first kid, Lincoln, mm-hmm. and... You know, we're chatting all day, and I basically tell her like, "Oh, also, I babysit. If you ever need a babysitter, let me know." And she was like, "Great, yeah." Mm. And then I just started sporadically babysitting for them over time, and then that turned into a permanent, like, a, you know, nine to five nanny mm-hmm. position with them. And so, so I started doing that, and then that then morphed because the kids went to school.
0: They went, oh, okay. started going to
1: preschool. Yeah. So then that morphed into me being her professional assistant. You know, I started kind of running her life and then and I and then I started yeah. writing a bunch of stuff for her. And mm-hmm. now I'm now we are creative partners and I write stuff for her all the time and we produce some stuff together and we just um yeah, we're more, far more partners now. And it's just, it's just morphed. It's just like yeah. slowly, slowly morphed. I think I am not a person, for better or for worse, that is like content. Right. It was never going right. to stay with me just being a babysitter there because right. I I just... I wouldn't have been able to, you know? And it speaks a great deal to the character of of Kristen. Oh, man. And when I started there, I had no delusions of grandeur. I had nothing that was like, oh, well, maybe eventually I'll get to do this and do this. It wasn't like that. It was like, oh, I guess I'll do this for now for however long I I can, and then I'll have to get something else. It was like, because I can't be a babysitter forever, but also this is great for now, and these people are lovely and wonderful and special, and... So that was the thought. And then I just inserted myself a lot. Exactly like you said. It really speaks to her character. And I have, I mean, I could talk for 15 hours Hmm. about the, the, just the unbelievable character of Kristen Bell. But truthfully, she's just open. She's just open Hmm. to people. She was very open to me inserting my opinion. And then turns out we just are very, very similar. And Mm -hmm. we... I can speak in her voice very easily, and so we we just sort of have this like transferable personality between the yeah, two of us. Absolutely, it just so happened that way. I, that was just luck, and um, and then yeah, so I started inserting myself, and then she started, and then I started like doing a little bit of writing as this like as her assistant, like a magazine. Questionnaire: Ten things oh, you don't know about Kristen. So you were and I'd the be person like, that we're doing those things. Sometimes I'd be like, let me just take a stab at it, and then you can you can just yeah. like you know that's that right. just to save her time. It was right. all born Absolutely. out of like that, and then it was like, oh wait, you sound like me, and and <laughs> and I I like your voice, and I was doing a lot of like comedic writing at the time also. So she just yeah, we just connected that way, and that's sort of how it happened. But you're right, most people would never even allow me into that – or anyone into that situation to even get to know whether someone was worthy or not of any of those things. So then Armchair kind of grew out of that, I assume? Yeah, so I've been with them for three years now, and really really what happened is just like a bunch of things simultaneously. All this stuff was happening with (laughs) Kristen and I professionally, but also – we were all three of us becoming like very best friends. Hmm. So I also would be working all day and then I would just stay and the three of us (laughs) would hang out and watch a movie or play a game or do something. So Uh now it's just like this, this very bizarre kind of liquid relationship between the three of us where it's like professional and very personal and and we're all friends and it's very unconventional.
0: Um, But it kind of, you know, you have a theme in your life of really enjoying the collaborative effort with, you know, all the way going back to friends, this collaborative sort of group of people who are together all the time. And then theater, of course, rehearsals going into the late hours and then improv. It seems like you really thrive in a situation where both personally and professionally, you know where everybody stands
1: yeah, absolutely, and, and and they're such wonderful, giving, generous people across the board and in work, and like, yeah, so then Dax um, put me in his movie, put me in Chips, which was so mm-hmm. wonderful, and so yeah, so basically we've all just been best friends, and we also have this working relationship, and at one point sort of recently, last year, Dax had, like, mentioned kind of offhand. I mean, he had always, like, wanted to do a podcast. But I think he thought, like, well, I know that he thought, like, I mean, there are so many podcasts. Like, what am I going to do, like, another podcast? And But, yeah, so he had mentioned it kind of offhand. And I'm a huge fan of podcasts in general. And so I was like, oh, okay, let's do it. I was like, let's do a podcast then. We're gonna do a podcast then. You said you want to, and so we will. Uh So I reached out to my therapist who I found. I don't know if you know the Totally Lame podcast. Um, but it's a podcast. So familiar. When I first moved here, I I I just binged every episode of Totally Lame. They started Mm -hmm. another podcast called Totally Married, that was just the two of them. And I oh oh my God, it got me through so many sad drive is going back and forth from babysitting, Uh like jobs I just didn't want to be doing. And I have such a fondness for them in that podcast. And Elizabeth had on this woman who was a therapist and I, at that time, was in very, very much in need of therapy. Sure. So I reached out to Elizabeth's, like, you know, hello, a totally lame email, basically, and was right. like, I don't, I don't know if you read this, but how can I get in touch with that woman? She responded. She gave me her info. So then I started seeing that therapist. Okay, okay. And then this is like, you know, cut to a couple of years later, we're here oh. and we're doing this podcast. And I was, so then I reached out to my therapist and I was like, can you please set up a personal connection between Elizabeth and I? I'd love to pick her brain about podcasting. She did that. I uh, met with Elizabeth and she was so wonderful and generous. And um, what a neat full circle story. Yes. And like it gets even bumps. more. It gets oh. even more Go because on. next week, Dax and I are going on Totally Lame. No way. Yes. And oh, my gosh. Yeah, I've had a lot of kind of weird full circle m- moments in my life, and this is definitely one, and I'm, <laughs> I'm so excited to go on. So that's sort of how the podcast happened, and then we we brought on Rob, our other producer, who's very technically proficient and knows what he's doing.
0: And what I love about Rob is that every so often
1: he pipes up and yeah. says, says
0: like one thing, and then he's gone.
1: Well, that's what happened with me at first because, okay, I was missing for the first three episodes. Like I just happened, I think I was at auditions or something and we were far too, it was so early that we were like, no, if a guest can do it at this time, it like has to be that time. And there's just nothing else we can do about it. Right. Absolutely. so I missed those first three episodes. And so I was not present. And then Mm -hmm. I was in the fourth episode, but like you know, my role, I have a few roles on our podcast, one being produce a producer, but I'm also the co-host. Mm-hmm. However, it's not like a conventional co-hosting situation. We're not speak, talking equally, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm basically there to add if I feel like something's missing, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. if if there's a point of view that needs to be piped in or right. something like that being like a female um ethnic yeah. person and right. sometimes i find that you know it's like i'm there to to pipe in when needed but i'm not there to just like chat the whole time really right so dax did not introduce me or i i don't think and then it was like people were like who is that <laughs> and i and i said to dax i said like i i need you to introduce me I, I you know and he and he is very which this is one of the best things about him he's like, He's just, just like, not caring what other people think. And he's like, no, he's like, we're going to do what we do. And, like, they'll get to know you and love you and all these things. And I was like, okay. And then a couple of episodes in, I was like, no, 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 no. I need an introduction because we're getting feedback that people are very confused. They think, like, you know, this is, like, some person in another room, like, listening and just chirp, (laughs) like, chiming in. So when did you start fact-checking? Like, was this a joke that turned into
0: (laughs) you noticed somebody said something wrong and so you checked it and it became a thing
1: well, no, it wasn't. I'm not like, you know, the resident, like, fact checker in life or anything. Okay. <laughs> but but we are both, Dax and I both are very interested in the truth. Mm-hmm. Really diving in and figuring out what's underneath and not taking yeah. things at face value. We're both very much in line with that. And so it was like, oh, and it would just it was a thing because he... He speaks so definitively about so much that he doesn't know about. And gotcha. I mean that's that's mm-hmm. our that's our premise of our show, really, is like I know a little bit about a lot of things, but I don't know about a lot about a lot of things. Yeah. So he spouts off a lot of statistics and things, and it just became a thing where it was like, well, we should just check. Yeah, just so we're right. just so we're being <laughs> clear and honest with everyone. So then right. th- that's how the fact checks so- so was sort of born and, and we gotcha. really, really enjoy that.
0: We're in this weird social media. Whatever you want to call it, frenzy of just like quickly outrage. sharing things.
1: Yeah, the age of outrage. Yep. People want sound bites, and people want people want quick expressions so that they can judge an entire person's character. Like they want to take one sentence oh, wow. and decide like this person yep. is a misogynist because they said this. And yeah, and the truth is just that's just not how people work, and nobody is. It's nothing is black and white and nobody is just this or just this. And so we're really interested in like exposing all that and just saying like yeah. there's so much there's so much gray. Yeah. And there is oh.
0: actually a conversation you guys had about I think he said something like if someone was working on the cure for cancer and they had it, but also they were
1: yep. um anti
0: Semitic or something. And that uh, was just it's a very hard question
1: it is incredibly hard and and we don't we don't really claim to have answers necessarily sure, you know no, yeah right but it's just a matter of looking deeply at life's questions and not just taking the easy answer as true I that's why I think in life the very best thing you can do is just expose yourself to every kind of person not like in a um, patronizing way but in just like you know I forget who it is someone had said that our brains can only keep like 120 I don't know the exact number but some number 120 close relationships like our our brain can only sustain that amount of Uh, personal relationships. And so the goal is that every one of those 120 people is a different kind of person. person. It's so easy to judge someone when you have no personal connection to it. Absolutely. But if you know someone who is, you know, that ethnicity or that profession or that thing, immediately whenever you hear a story, you think of your person. That's right. And you think like, wait, but wait, because, because my person who I know and love does not do yeah. that. And is, yes. you know, it just, it just yes. opens, it, it closes so much, um, judgment. And, and there's so much grace that you can
0: give when you have done that work.
1: Yes. And you can just see, you can see humans instead of like ideas.
0: Let's fast forward then to to now. You are you are actively working in all these really neat things with Dax and Kristen. What about what about your own world? Is that kind of encompassing your own world right now, or are you actively pursuing your acting career in other ways as well?
1: Yes, I definitely am still. I still pursue my acting career pretty full force. I just like go on auditions all the time, and um, yeah, so I'm still I'm still acting a ton, and and still doing all that stuff and definitely still pursuing it but I think and when I started to realize commercially last year I was like what's happening like why all of a sudden why am I booking all of these it doesn't Uh really make sense and then I started realizing I was like oh I think it's because the rest of my life is very full and happy and I don't need to book mm. it anymore. Like when I walk mm. into the room, I'm not like if I don't book this, I can't eat dinner tonight or like right. if I don't book this, like my whole all of my validation is writing on it. Like none of that, really. It's like I go in and I just like do what I do. Right. And then I leave and then I go do the rest of my day, which is the podcast and writing stuff for Kristen and doing all these things that like that fill me up just as
0: much. One of the things that you said in some of our earlier conversations was that desperation is a repellent and people can sense it. And I think about even, like, real job interviews
1: when you go in.
0: And um, I I cringe at all of the interviews I've ever had. I don't have, quote, a real job anymore. But I would do interviews so differently now. Like, I'm not not going out and buying a new outfit. I'm going to wear probably what I woke up and put on. And it's
1: so sad because... Being yourself is what's going to get you the job, because mm. people want authenticity, pe- and people right. want to know you. And what's interesting about you is is you, not you trying to be what you think they want you to be. Like all of right. it's so mathy in your head. Like you just you just right. can't succeed in that headspace. That right. the only place to succeed is like just being like true to yourself. And also, that's, I think that goes across the board. That goes with relationships too if you're trying to be the person you think they want you to be it's just not going to work like right even it might work for a little bit and then no one can keep that up you know you just Mm -mm. can't Mm
0: -mm. so you got to
1: just own own all of your strengths and all of your faults and present that as you in
0: all walks of life you're right in relationships in desk jobs if you are not being yourself as best as you can be, I mean we all have hindrances and insecurities, but um, the end result is not going to be something you're even going to enjoy how How have you evolved from the girl who packed up and moved to l a?
1: Um, how have you changed? I have changed mainly in confidence, I think mm. It is amazing what confidence does to everything in your life. Right. You know, it changes, it ch- literally changes the way your eyes work. Like, <sighs> it, it, you know, like- Is that you, a what fact? You, well- I'm not going to I'm not going to say it's a fact oh, but I,
0: no I thought I thought you I thought you had checked that
1: at some point Oh so oh, oh oh <laughs> No I was no like, no, oh, no she knows she know Monica I think you know everything because you're checking yeah, see, all the facts this is the problem this is exactly <laughs> this is <laughs> That's exactly the problem <laughs> This is my problem <laughs> well, I'm I'm being dax right now and, and making a statement that's definitely false but I mean like confidence changes the way you see Yourself literally when you look in the mirror, I can like right. you, you know, and we, the way you see other people, and it's like, man, we we project so much um based on the what, what we're thinking, and the based on the way we feel about ourselves, and our mental state, and all of these things. But anyway, point is, um, I I do think that I've I've gotten so much more confident and comfortable with myself and my story and who I am. I do think working with Kristen and Dax, really had a profound effect. And I think sure. they're, they're much to attribute to. They just really believe in me. Mm. And have given me so many opportunities because they believe I can. Mm-hmm. And it has been so empowering to have worked mm. and work so closely with them and feel like, these people think I can do it, and I can.
0: When they are grounded in the fact that they understand that all of this around them uh, is kind of just massive luck, and yeah. so as much as they can be kind to those people around them that that have been put in their life, that need opportunity as much as they needed opportunity, it's it's a thing that you have to be so confident to be able to do, and yeah. I admire people who have enough self confidence to that aren't intimidated by other people
1: yeah that are only you know their own their their purpose is to just build people up and it is so you're right it is much easier said than done to do that because people feel threatened really easily and yeah and they just really really don't and Kristen is like all she does is give 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 Mm. give I mean Mm -hmm. it is such a massive part of her life and she sees a lot of return yeah and I don't think it's a coincidence and I I feel really lucky like to to just be around it and sort of garner some of those things and try to take them for myself
0: yeah and may we learn to do that to younger generations as well to continue that on yeah because it's so important very I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Monica Padman while you're here in your podcast app go ahead and search for armchair expert and give that a subscribe they are actually going on a live tour later this year perhaps to a city near you so be looking out for that also while you're in the subscribing mood why don't you go ahead and subscribe to the rogue ones podcast if you haven't already this is your first time with us welcome i'm so glad you've joined us I like to sit down with extraordinary people doing fascinating things so we can learn from them, and I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Thank you to Monica Padman, and as always, thank you to Ryan Swinehart of Sick Island Studios here in Nashville, Tennessee, for making this podcast sound absolutely splendid. Have a good day wherever it is that you are, and we'll see you next time. Take care.